The image for this series is a woman celebrating the festival of holy to remind us that blessing doesn't always look like what we expect. In the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us who is blessed and what it means to be blessed. Blessed is living in the assurance that I am with God and God is with me. Even though my present circumstances might not look like it, if I am blessed, I'm actually living in the kingdom of heaven. And that's not a delusion. It's a life with hope. Now, how do I get there to that life of hope? That's the question Jesus answered in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, and what we're going to answer this summer. Today, we are looking at the fifth person Jesus says is blessed. In Matthew 5, 7, Jesus teaches this. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This same word, merciful, is used in the Odyssey. Calypso says of herself that her heart is not made of iron, but that she is compassionate. However, she keeps Odysseus trapped for seven years. She calls herself merciful or compassionate, but she's really only thinking about herself. She really doesn't understand mercy. In order for us to know how to be blessed by mercy, we need to know what mercy really is and when do we use it. Let's talk about when we use it first. The service of mercy is in guilt. In order for someone to receive mercy, an act deserving of guilt has to have occurred. I don't need mercy if I haven't done anything wrong. But if I have done something wrong, mercy is the elimination reduction, or even temporary easing of the punishment. The motivation for the easing of the punishment is undeserved compassion. John Wesley simply called it being tender-hearted. It's not giving someone the punishment they deserve, but not due to neglect or bribery, but simply because of compassion. My youngest daughter is learning to say nice things to people. She says, I love you. You're the best. And she says, I forgive you. But her three-year-old mind doesn't yet understand that forgiveness requires a hurt. So she says, I forgive you to be nice, even though there's been no wrong done. Now, it is nice and it's funny, but it's not true forgiveness. Similarly, with mercy, there must be the components of guilt and compassion for it to be true. Everyone needs mercy. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is guilty. Everyone deserves punishment. So everyone needs mercy. That being the case, it's understandable why Jesus would say that kingdom of heaven people are merciful. When someone hurts me, I don't have to exact vengeance. I can extend mercy. When someone fails to live up to my expectations... I don't have to point the finger. I can extend mercy. When someone gets caught in sin, I don't look down my nose at them. I extend mercy. And that's not necessarily a natural response for many people. It's not that I don't feel for people, but I also want people to be accountable. Also, it might not sound fair. I mean, if I'm held responsible, then other people should also be fully held responsible. And if I'm shown mercy, well, then I can also show mercy. But that's not kingdom of heaven thinking. That's actually Eastern religious thinking. The security of mercy is not 
karma. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Does sound kind of like a karma phrase. Karma basically means what goes around, good or bad, will come around in this life or the next. The Bible actually has several teachings that on the surface could sound like karma. Galatians 6, 7 through 9 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. So sow to, into my fleshly desires and reap destruction from my flesh. Sow good things to the Spirit and reap from the Spirit at the proper time. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you, your wrongdoing. Jesus is saying, if I forgive others, then God will forgive me. A parallel passage is Luke 6.37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. All these verses sound very transactional. Do this. And then get that. There are general principles of life where that's kind of true. If I make wise decisions, if I'm generous, if I'm kind, those attributes will generally cause me to have a good life. If I'm unforgiving, then God will work on me to change that so I don't become a bitter person. But mercy is not transactional. There is no promise here that if I'm merciful to person A, that later person B or even person A must return the favor and be merciful to me. I have here a Monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card. If I play the game according to the rules and obtain this card, when I want to get out of jail, I can redeem this card, and according to the rules, nobody can prevent me from rolling the dice and coming out of the jail square. I get out of the punishment because I have the card not because of anyone's compassion. And that's the difference between mercy and karma. My assurance of mercy is not based on the fact that I have given mercy, but that there is a God of mercy. The difficulty of Matthew 5, 7 and passages like Matthew 6, 14 and 15 which says, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive other people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Is that it makes us think mercy and forgiveness start with me. I do it, and then God will reciprocate and do it for me. Well, that's backwards. There are two things wrong with reciprocation type thinking. First, while there must be guilt for there to be mercy, the offense doesn't have to be against me to show mercy. See, think about this. When a couple comes to me for marriage counseling, the husband and wife have hurt each other in some way. But I'm not damaged by them, yet I can still show them mercy. And second, the, the reason the offense doesn't have to be against me is because I'm not the source of mercy. The source of mercy is God. 
In Matthew 18, 21 through 35, Jesus tells the parable of the indebted servant. It goes like this. A servant owes money to the king, 10,000 talents. As the servant doesn't have the money to pay the punishment that is that he and his wife and his children and everything he owes is going to be sold to pay the debt. The servant pleads for more time to pay the money back. But instead of more time, the king completely forgives the debt. Later, that same servant meets a fellow servant who owes him money, a hundred denarii, spare change compared to what the first servant owed the king. The second servant also begs for more time, but the first servant has no mercy and has number two servant thrown into debtor's prison. The report of that incident gets back to the king, who rescinds the debt forgiveness, saying, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So mercy starts with the king. You know, some things have to be experienced in order to be learned, like mercy. You know, I've never heard of someone learning how to swim from a book or from a non-swimmer. To learn to swim, a person needs to get in the water with a swimmer. And another thing, I had I once had a pastor ask me to recommend him a good book on expository preaching. Now, between Bible college, ordination classes, and seminary, I've had three classes that all taught expository preaching, and they all had textbooks. But I didn't have even one book to recommend to this pastor because despite the classwork, preaching this way was taught to me by other preachers who preached this way. Maybe they taught the class, maybe they were my pastor or someone I listened to. But from all these preachers, I gained notes. I also practiced preaching and I got feedback from them until I could do it. I didn't have a book to recommend, though. And one more example. You know, I've been told that I'm a good father. I'm not perfect for sure, but I believe I'm doing all right. When I've counseled young men about being a father for the first time, I ask them, who is your role model for being a father? And quite often, sadly, these young men say, I don't have one. I tell them they have to find one, as well as work on their commitment to the woman who will be the mother of their child. See, I've read some books on parenting. I even took a human development class in college, and those things helped. But I'm a good father because others have invested something in me. I have good parents, I have a good wife, and I have a heavenly father. You know, as great and useful as the Bible is, a book from God that has everything I need for life and godliness, I cannot be merciful just because I have a book. I need a merciful God. Blessed are the merciful. The word merciful in that first phrase is an adverb that shows up twice in the New Testament and in the Odyssey, as I mentioned in the introduction. For they will be shown mercy. That second word mercy is a verb and shows up 63 times in the New Testament. And 60 of those 63 times refer to the mercy of God. Romans 9.16, as one example, says, It does not depend on human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. There are also a couple of ways to translate the verb mercy. It could 
be receive mercy, it can be obtain mercy, or it can be shown mercy. I prefer the third translation because it has the idea both that I get mercy myself and I get to see others experience mercy. Mercy is displayed in front of me and through me as well as in me. So which comes first, my mercy or God's? God's mercy comes first and last and in between. With God as the source of mercy, how do I show mercy? Well, Christians have been thinking about that question for as long as there have been Christians. I want to begin this application with three lists from church history. Our own Methodist tradition has five works of mercy. Some are kind of general and others very specific. The historical Methodist works of mercy are doing good, visiting the sick and prisoners, feeding and clothing people, earning, saving, and giving all one can, and opposition to slavery. Overall, very practical, drawing from scripture and impactful on society. An older tradition on works of mercy comes from the catechism, where there are two lists, the corporal or physical works of mercy and the spiritual works of mercy. And again, these actions come from the scriptures. The corporal works of mercy are to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to give shelter to travelers, to visit the sick, to visit the imprisoned, and to bury the dead. You know, five of those seven come straight from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 25. And the spiritual works of mercy are counseling the doubtful, instructing the ignorant, admonishing the sinner, comforting the sorrowful, forgiving injuries, bearing wrongs patiently, and praying for the living and the dead. All those actions also come from Scripture. And the only one we as Protestants might have a difference on is the final one, praying for the living and the dead. For a Roman Catholic, that would mean praying for people alive on earth and souls in purgatory. For me, that means praying for those who are spiritually alive, that is, those who have saving faith in Jesus Christ, and praying for those who are spiritually dead, those who have not yet expressed faith in Jesus Christ. Realize praying for someone to receive God's mercy is an act of mercy. I can't stress enough how important that is. To pray for someone to come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive God's mercy is an act of mercy. And here are some more practical ideas. Some of these we've recently done as a congregation. Tear down your possessions and share your excess with the needy. Organize a toy, book, clothing, or other drive for those in need in your community. This is like what we recently did for Tubman and First Care Pregnancy Center. And you know what? Sometimes the thing people most need are things we don't talk about much, like feminine hygiene products for poor and homeless women. You could volunteer at the Christian Cupboard Emergency Food Shelf or another organization. But this, call someone you know is lonely, even if you don't understand why they are lonely, and especially if you do. It's an act of mercy to do something kind and helpful for someone with whom you don't get along or who has wronged you. Another action that I know many have done during the pandemic is offer to run an errand for someone else. And here's an idea. 
Keep a little cash and a small cooler with cold water in your car so that when you encounter someone begging for money at an intersection on a hot day, you have something to give them. Those are just a few ideas I found this past week, and I'm sure you can come up with your own. And we can already do this. We can do this because God has already been merciful to us. If I limit mercy to someone hurting me and then me forgiving and not punishing them, then I've missed the scope of God's mercy and therefore missed the full blessing. Mercy is compassionate action I do for another person to give them hope and healing and point them to the merciful God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray. Psalm 119 says this, Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commandments. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word and let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant, and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes when your law is not obeyed. Carry eleison, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. As you reflect on this message, think of one thing that resonated with you, one thing that challenged you, one thing that you want to learn more about, and one thing you will do based on what you have heard. I leave you with this blessing. May the Holy God, Holy Mighty One, Immortal One, have mercy on us and on the whole world.